I've been talking about righteousness for, for months, and most of the time it doesn't sound like I'm talking about righteousness. But, but so today, the title of the message is Exploring Righteousness, but the little subtitle there, Solid Food is for the Mature. And I'm going to be as brief as I can be. I'm going to get to the point. This is actually probably going to have about six different parts to it this particular subject and and so we're talking about stuff stuff that is if you like elementary to the Christian faith the beginning stuff so let's just quickly read a passage here here's a passage here the title there growing up we're meant to grow up and so here in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 through 14 it says for each oh sorry that it says for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God you need milk not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he or since he or she is a child but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, we're meant to grow up. You know, here I've got some picture up there of, it's a bulb, is it not? You know, type of bulb. Um, if you go outside and have a look in the, in the lawn, you'll see that there seems to be bulbs underneath the grass everywhere these they're strange and they strange thing about the bulbs is they, they weren't there last month but something's shifted in the weather and now they're starting to come up um and and they grow quite quickly it's quite amazing and it seems to be a thing that's in our lawn uh, they can lie dormant and then boom up they come and and we as human beings we're created in god's image and there's stuff put inside of us you could use bulb as an illustration or you could use a seed, um, but, but it's dead. And spiritually we are dead unless we're made alive by the word of God that comes alive in us. But we become Christians. And, and so we could use lots of different illustrations. We could use a plant or we could use a person. Probably a, a person is, is a better one. When a little human being is born, they are not very big, are they? And they are, they need milk. They can't eat steak sandwiches. And so, we'll go on. So we're meant to grow physically. We grow in what we eat. We start with, you know, milk. And then after a while we'll have some stuff and usually a mother will get some veggies or something and mash it up so that it, because the baby doesn't have any teeth, but they can suck on stuff and so start eating things and eventually they'll start chewing on stuff. And the whole process, stating the obvious is, we're meant to mature. And in maturing, what we eat changes. Now that passage we just read, the writer to the Hebrews was having a, he wasn't really having a go at them, but he was, he was informing them that they, they actually weren't mature. They're still infants because they weren't acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. 
that there's, they're actually meant to go on, um, but they weren't. If you keep reading, he is actually quite confident, you know, that indeed this will happen and that you're not going to be ones that are going to fall over, but rather you will progress. The writer was confident if you keep reading in, you know, through into the next chapter. And, you know, the, the other thing that happens when you grow up is that what you, I'm talking about food now, is what you actually like changes. You know, your, your palate changes. When I was young, I didn't really like olives. I thought, yeah, but now I love olives. And no, I've never, the love of cucumbers never really grown on to me. I, I tried and I tried and I tried. I used to eat it and eat it. It's, it's not a nice flavour. Um, but I've been told I'm strange in many ways, and that's, that's one of them. Um, but, but I like things like blue vein cheese. When I first tasted that, it was like, oh, that's just like, you know, eating mould straight off the, you know, the... And some would agree, but, but it's an acquired taste. And when you actually persevere a bit, you go, hmm, this is actually really good. And you have to persevere at first. There's many things like that as you mature where you have to actually press in and persevere. Because at first taste, it's new, it's something a bit offensive, and it's like, I'm not going there again. But you revisit it, your flavour nodes in your tongue change, um, you realise you didn't die. Um, yeah, anyway. We can go on and on about that. But what you like, this is true spiritually as well. Now, when you go to school, you don't start at year 12. No, you start and you learn the basics. And children, learning the basics is really, really important. I keep telling you know, your times tables. Learn your times tables. The reason why most children don't like mathematics is that they don't know their, child, their times table. If you don't know your times tables, everything is hard. Everything's a chore. Because most of mathematics is just a repetition of those things, one way or the other. But if you know your times tables, you look at it and you go, oh, I know the answer already. You don't have to think hard. And then it becomes fun, believe it or not. And if everything's a chore all the time, you can go tired of it. But when you master something, you go, oh, I can do this. I'm confident. It becomes enjoyable. Same thing can happen in our spiritual walk the things that we learn. Because, you know, the, you read the Word, you become more and more familiar with the Word, you understand, and understanding grows, and instead of it being a chore, it just it starts to come out in other parts of your life. And the amount of mental effort is reduced because you're maturing, because you're actually learning stuff and so, in terms of your memory and your understanding, your ability to communicate, your ability to in interpret and to apply a truth to multiple situations, it grows. This happens in the natural with just normal academic subjects, but it's also true with regard to understanding spiritual things. And it requires an, an initial amount of effort, but we're meant to progress. And that's the point. So we're not meant to stay in one spot, we're meant to progress. And it keeps going. You know, how do we do it? Let's think about experience. You know, if you're learning to drive, 
initially you're not very experienced. You have to think about it. There's lots of things to think about at the same time. And it's, you know, I've got two two kids that I'm teaching to drive right now, and and when they first get in there, for them to change gears, steer that steering wheel, um, and observe what's going on on the road at the same time, it seems to be a challenge to them. Sometimes it's a bit scary for me. Um, but after a while, you know, changing gears, that involves, you know, putting your foot on the clutch, releasing some pressure off the accelerator, you know, actually moving that gear stick in a, in a direction to the next gear, finding that slot, getting the coordination of taking your foot off the clutch as you put your foot back on the accelerator. Now, I explain these things very carefully to my children, but they don't get it, not straight away. They only get it by doing it. And, and then they do it in different ways and get different results. Sometimes you drive along, you know, and they take their foot off the accelerator too much and take too long. The engine revs drop down, they take the foot off the clutch and you know what it's like. Momentum of the car speeds the engine back up again. It's a lumpy gear change. Some people drive like that their entire life. They, they don't understand why, they just think that's how you... That's what every gear change is like. But it's not supposed to be. You know, it's supposed to match the air revs. Experience helps. Understanding what's going on helps so that when you're driving, you become a good driver, a safe driver. I could go on and on, but I won't. The point is, that passage we just read in Hebrews says by... by by practice, by constant use, by putting these things into place. That is how part of the journey of maturing, of growing up, is you develop experience. When you first start in a, at, a, at a role in a new employment place of work, at first you're not experienced. After a week or two, you're a little bit more experienced. After you've been there a year or ten, you, you're, you're like part of the machinery. You don't have to think so hard, you just do your thing. Happens, happens. Happens in trades, happens in life. But it also happens in spiritual stuff because you start to get to know him. You get to know what's going on. We're meant to grow up. Anyway, I can, I've talked about spiritual thing with all of those things. We, the point of this slide is that spiritually we're not meant to stay babies. We're not to, meant to just be drinking milk. We're meant to have solid food. And so, this is the very next verse, you know, in the next chapter of Hebrews. And it says, therefore, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from the dead, oh, sorry, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. That first little section that I have in bold, that's what we're going to talk about today. But you note that in this particular passage, the implication from the writer of the Hebrews is that all of those subjects are milk. 
They're all elementary, milk. And the first one there on that list, the elementary doctrine of Christ, and go on to maturing, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. I wonder what repentance from dead works is. Now, it's, it, for most of us, it would be very obvious. You know, this, we're talking about when you first become a Christian, that recognising that you need a saviour, talking about repentance. Now, what does repentance mean? Has anybody know what the literal meaning of repentance is? Yeah, do you, do you want to do an object lesson? Boys, do you want to, do you want to show me what, what repentance actually means? What does it mean? Well, yeah. You turned around, you went exactly the opposite way, yeah, 180 degrees. A change of direction, a, a turning. You know, if I was going to go and punch Chappie Neal on the nose and I repented of that idea, I would turn back around and I would say, that was a very bad idea. Not only is it a bad idea, but he's a pretty big guy. <laughs> he, he, he outbeats beats me in, in body size, weight, and reach. I'm not sure if I'd be able to even get close. I could escape through his knees and like under his legs, maybe. Anyway, the point is, you know, we have to turn. And the thing that we have, though, you know, is we have this inbuilt, in terms of the direction of our lives, we have this inbuilt autopilot. We could use other words to describe it, but it's called we're, bo we're born into sin. I'm not talking about individual sins. I'm talking about the state of the human, the human condition, is that we are born into sin. And we don't have to learn how to sin. It comes to us naturally. It's because of because of Adam, all of us joined here. Thanks, Adam. You know, we're born into sin. Jesus Christ, he was born into the earth as the second or the last Adam. And he did not do what the first Adam did. Jesus was obedient. He overcome sin. And because Jesus overcomes sin, means we can overcome sin. This is, I don't have to preach the gospel to you guys. But here we have this inbuilt, in, on the inside of us we have an inbuilt autopilot, if you like. Something that, it's like, you know, if you're out in the ocean and you have your autopilot turned on and it'll, it'll head in a direction, you know, and, and a, a wave or a wind comes along and the autopilot will adjust. Same with aeroplanes, it'll constantly adjust and head into that direction. Um, if you are out orienteering, do you, boys, do you know what orienteering is? You probably don't. But if you're out bushwalking and you've got a map and a compass, that process of using the map and the compass to find your way is called orienteering. It's, um, it's actually quite a lot of fun, you know, to head off somewhere and go, here's, here's the big land in which I'm walking, here's a map and I want to go here. What direction do I need to go? And then you find your way there. And so the way that 
one would find your way there is you'll sit there in a spot and you'll go, ah, I can see the hill or a mountain over there, some feature that I can recognise on the map. And then I line it up and go, I need to head in this direction. And then if you can't see it, say it's on the other high side of a horizon or other side of a hill or something, you go, I can see in that direction, that big tree about a kilometre away. What do you do? Well, you walk to that tree. Because you'll probably need to go around rocks. and But you walk to that tree. Keep your eyes on that tree and you walk to it. And then when you get to that tree, you do it again. And you're heading in the same direction. Orienteering. Using a compass. We have in ourselves an inbuilt autopilot called the sinful nature, which if we're not careful, will always orientate ourselves back to a place where we do what we want. And we don't do what God wants. And the, the terrible thing that happens to a lot of Christians is they remain babies and they think the Christian walk is about just this one thing. Constantly turning yourself back and going and do what God wants. That's what they think. They think this, they get trapped in this little loop of, of they, their autopilot is in the, the sinful nature to always points them towards what they want and then the Holy Spirit comes along, convicts them of sin and they go, oh, that's right, yeah, I'm going to go back here. And then they go there and they live their entire life in a state of tension between these two and, and they think that, that living a successful Christian life is, is just overcoming sin. But guess what? It's not. Overcoming sin is necessary, but it's not the point. Of course it's necessary. You know, think to yourself, why does God hate sin? Just as simple. Why, why does, I don't want you to get too in theological. Why, why does God hate sin? Is it because sin is bad? Well, yeah. Yes, and, and sin separates. Sin, sin separates in terms of relationship with God. But it's not like as if God is so, you know, powder puff God that he can't look upon. Of course he can. You know, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, you know, he comes down, he's in the garden. And, you know, he, it's not like as if God is... Sin is not God's kryptonite. The reason why, you know, there's many, but we'll just, pick, we'll just pick some of the most basic ones. The reason why God really doesn't like sin, yes, because it separates relationship, but because it really hurts us. It does us a whole lot of harm. It prevents us from finding the things that he has for us, the good things. Sin produces stuff in life that is very, very, very unfair to other people. A lot of people think, you know, why do good, you know, bad things happen to good people? Well, because of sin. Sin is not fair. You have some good person walking down the street for no fault of their own and something terrible happens to them because someone else is sinning. It wasn't their fault, it was sin's fault. But we're all sinners. But here we have 
power, power to say no. Power to say no, because we, with this sinful nature that we have, we have all this history. We can read in the scriptures this big, long history of the law where this is all the rules that you're meant to obey. Nobody could obey them. Proved convincingly through many generations that mankind is not capable of being good by human effort alone. And so now we have the fact that Jesus came, paid the price for our sin, but more than that, he's given to us his Holy Spirit, which actually can be on the inside of us and can provide us with like a new autopilot. It's like you go into the settings and you change the orientation. And so instead of it naturally going to what I want, it's meant to naturally go to what Jesus wants. And guess what? A lot of us think, think that that particular thing is you've arrived. You're mature. Well, you're, but getting to that place where the Lord Jesus Christ writes on your heart and you're actually resetting that calibrated direction of your heart, that's actually the fundamental milk stuff. Think about, think about we hop in, when we, when we finish this service, everybody here will get outside, we'll go and we'll hop in our cars. What's the point of hopping in the car? Is it just to get in and sit down? And even, even down the direction that you're heading, what's the point of heading in that direction? Yeah, it, it's, it's to go somewhere. It's to actually get to a destination. So that my point is this, is the reason why you get in the car is not to get in the car. When you're, when you're a, a little child, a very young child, you know, sometimes it is, you know, you want to play. You want to get in the car and you can't see over the steering wheel and you, you imagine that your legs are long enough to drive the thing. I'm talking about little kids. You know, I would have done this. You know, sit on dad's lap. You're thinking you're driving, but no. No, he's driving. And when you're a small, a young Christian, you know, sometimes getting in the car is the point. But as you mature... No, getting into the car is not the point. And do you know it even becomes more than that? It's, of course, we want to get somewhere, but why do you want to get somewhere? Well, it's because you want to do something when you get there. You want to achieve something when you get there. And so the point I'm trying to make with regard to Christian life, Christian living, is that these elementary things, like power to say no, walking with Christ and saying no to unrighteousness, that is actually not the point. There's something far, far, far more exciting. If you keep reading in Hebrews, we get to this wonderful passage where it talks we have this great cloud of witnesses. As we're building something for Jesus, something that is eternal. Now we're starting to talk about maturity. Now we're starting to talk about what God really wants. His eternal plans implemented in the earth. And all of these things, these foundational things, they are necessary and they are important. But, but they're not the point. 
And we have power to say no. We have power to live. But you see, a lot of us get locked into this thinking where, you know, this, where you think about perfection. That, that's something that happens into the future. You know, and, and in one sense it's true, you know, because we, we, you know, in the next life we get this glorified body and we're changed. But when you read the scriptures, you read again and again and again of what we're actually meant to accomplish now, here on earth and in time, is, is more than just overcoming sin. Overcoming sin is very, very important and we, we, we need to continue to pursue it, of course. But there's a reason. There's a reason for it. It has to do with Christ's righteous rule, the increase of his kingdom. And, you know, here's a scripture to, to demonstrate that what I'm saying is, is true. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age. So it's right now. To live self-controlled, godly. But you think, why does God want us to live self-controlled and godly lives? Of course it's for our sake. Of course it's for relationship with him. If we don't live self-controlled and upright lives, guess who gets hurt? Well, everybody gets hurt. We get hurt because of some consequence of sin. And other people get hurt because of some consequence of sin. And so what does the Lord do? He gives to us his Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? Writes his word upon our heart. Helps us to say no, to live a godly life in this present age. Why? So we can produce fruit for the Father's glory. There's, there's layer upon layer, lots of different ways to look at the same thing. But in the end, we have to accept that if we live our lives and, and we spend our entire life just trying to overcome sin, then we're just babies. Not yet eating meat. If we live our entire lives, and when we know we, and all we ever do is just wanting to do our own thing, always, you know, oh, just, that's not what I want, so I won't do it. Then we're still babies. The Lord wants us to grow up. The Lord wants me to grow up. We're meant to grow up. And I'm done. It's the end of the sermon. But it's not the end of the journey. That was a message about repentance that wasn't a message about repentance. It was a message about the fact that repentance is one of those foundational, elementary, milk-type doctrines of Christianity, which is a beginning point. It's not actually the point. The Lord wants to take us on. And so... And why do we preach like this? Why do I preach like this? Well, because we've got a town to reach. 
We have a region to conquer for the sake of Christ. We have things that are done in secret in this town puff up unclean spirits. We've got battles to fight. Babies don't go to war. And what does Jesus want? And what does Jesus have? He has a kingdom of priests. Where there's a passage, Psalm 110, it talks about that, that, that his people would be willing in the day of his power. When you look into that, in the day of the gathering of Christ's forces, the gathering of Christ's army as the Lord of hosts, his people would be willing. He's not gathering babies to go to war. No, grown up soldiers with armour on. That's why. That's why we're preaching like this. Because we want, we've, got a, we've got an atmosphere to transform. We need wisdom. We need understanding. We need cooperation. And by the grace of God, all those things will be achieved. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this grace. Thank you that you have a holy purpose which is, which is actually should be no surprise to us because it's clearly outlined in your word. The Lord's intent, God's intent that Christ through the church would make known the manifold wisdom of God. Lord Jesus, you said, all authorities in heaven and earth given to me, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. These things are clear cut. And Lord, yet the enemy would have us to believe that Lord, because we stumble over, over this, our sinful nature, we disqualify ourselves. Lord, I ask that you would grant us grace that we would not disqualify ourselves and we would go on to maturity. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Take you, train us. Lord, just like the Bible says, that through constant use, Lord, again and again, teach us your ways, that we would, Lord, have the mind of Christ in us. I ask this in Jesus' name.